do. Hey, if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We are jumping back into our series uh, on understanding Jesus. And today I want to talk to you uh, about better things, better things. The book of Hebrews is a book that really is about better things. Uh, It talks about a better covenant. In our faith, we have an old covenant and a new covenant. Jesus came to establish a new covenant with his people. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came and he preached, he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, Jesus is saying, change your mind because God is relating to you in a different way. It's a new way. It's a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing God a new way of relating to God, a new way of having fellowship with God, a new way of knowing God. Is there anybody thankful for Jesus in the room? Is there anybody thankful that Jesus has given us increased access to the Father? And so today I wanna talk to you about that. We're gonna start in Hebrews chapter 12, and I wanna start verse 18. And uh, I really believe that God is going to encourage your heart, challenge you today, but I I think you're gonna leave this place closer to the Lord than you maybe you felt in a long, long time. This is what the Bible says. It says, for you have not come to what may be touched, to a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And we're gonna take a few minutes and we're gonna unpack these few verses and let's hear what God would say. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this incredible opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for those that are in the room and those that are gathered online. We're grateful for our church community not just here in this region, but all over the world people are watching us, all over the world where people can't get to a church building. This has become their way of going to church. This has become their church family, and so we are grateful for them today, and our hearts are with them today, and we are praying for them today, and we are believing that you're gonna touch them today just like you're gonna touch us in this room, and we believe it because we believe that with faith, all things are possible to him that believes. We believe that with God, we can see, we can have, we can be, we can do anything in your name, and so we thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray, and everybody said a. Man, I love this. I love this book. The book of Hebrews is an incredible book. The book of Hebrews is written um, by who we don't really know. Some people think it's Paul. I personally, I personally think it's probably Barnabas or someone else other than Paul because it doesn't really sound like his language. But I don't want to argue over that. We're not here to argue over over that. It doesn't really matter who wrote it. The content is so incredible. But this book is written to Jewish people who are coming into Christianity, who are wanting to kind of mix their 
Christian faith with their Jewish faith, and they are kind of falling back. They are, they've come to the knowledge of Jesus, but they're falling away from Jesus, trying to go back into rules and ritual and all of the regulations that came with the law. And so it's frustrating to these people of the new covenant, these teachers of this new covenant. So they're trying to convince them, hey, listen, God has something better for you. Don't go back to what you've been saved out of. Come on, is there anybody in the room today who's convinced that God has something better for you so there's no point in going back? I'm not going back. There's nothing back there for me anyway. I'm, I'm moving forward with what God has for me. And so he begins to describe two types of, of relationships with God, two types of experiences with God. He talks about the difference between Sinai and Zion between Sinai and Zion. And he begins to say, first of all, he says, you have not come to what may be touched. I love this because it's not speaking of the fact that God is untouchable, it's in the new covenant. What it's saying is here on Mount Sinai, you came to a place uh, that was physical in its nature. It was a place, a location that you could point to on a map. It was geographical. But the place that we have come to in Christ, you, you can't locate it by GPS. It's not, on a, it's not on a map anywhere. As a matter of fact, it's not earthly. It's not, it's not something that was made or formed or shaped by the winds or the waves or the seas or the tide. It's not something that was brought up in the earth. It's something that comes down from heaven. And I, I wanted to tell you today that you are not part of something that is geographical in nature but it's something that it's heavenly, it's above, it's better, it's bigger, it's grander. It's, 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 more, it's more expansive than you could possibly imagine. And I just want you to know today, I know sitting in this room, we may feel small. And some of us coming from Johnson City or Elizabeth or Carter County or out in Stony Creek or Siam, we might feel small. But we are a part of something that expands the whole universe. We are a part of the kingdom of the almighty God. You can't locate it on a map. Because it covers the whole map. It is the map. It's beyond the map. It's, it's everywhere. It's in us. It's around us. It's, it's here. It's coming. It's, it's, it's all things. And so I want to encourage you today that if you're trying to put your hands on the kingdom, it's going to be very difficult to put your hands on this, this mountain because it's not located on a map. As a matter of fact, it's so expansive, the only place that it can really reside is in your heart it's in your heart so he says you have not come to what may be touched to a blazing fire to darkness to gloom he lists these seven different things he says you've not come to a a tangible or touchable mountain one that's blazing with fire where there's darkness or there's gloom or a tempest or the sound of a trumpet or or a voice that terrifies you so much that you beg God to stop talking to you. (laughs) There are a lot of people in this room who wish God would just talk to them. Isn't that a wild thing? Now, in this situation, they're they're under a situation where, and in a covenant where they don't even want God to talk to them because it's so scary and so overwhelming what God is saying. And so on Sinai, you see see this, the motive of, of faith in God. You see the motive of 
trust in God. You see the motive for obedience. You see the motive for relationship with God. And you see that the restraint, the, the thing that kept you or was supposed to keep you from being immoral or, or, or doing bad things was, was fear. It was this exhibition of power and, and, and shock and awe, boundaries that were covered in darkness that nobody could pass. Even if your animal touched it, not even your dog wanted to get near God. And dogs love everybody. Dogs want to be around everybody. There is this fear that it's talking about that's not coupled with love and trust. It's a fear in the old that leads only to terror and despair. First John 4 and 18 says this about about love, though, it says perfect love drives out fear. The restraint of the old is, is fear. The restraint of the new is love. God desires with the new covenant to win us and hold our affection because of how much he has loved us and sacrificed for us. These are deeper motives than fear. It's a longer lasting motive than fear. It's, it's love, it's gratitude, it's appreciation. And I understand and I know that through the entire Bible we see a, a theme of the fear of the Lord. But the fear of God is to realize that running from him is useless and dangerous. So my only option is to run to him. The fear of God is the recognition that outside of Jesus Christ, I am in the hands of an angry and a vengeful and a, and a condemning and a just and a holy and a righteous and a pure and an almighty God. And outside of Jesus, I am hopeless. So why would I run from the God that I can't run from? Why would I hide from a God that I can't hide from? Why don't I just come to God on his terms in Christ? <laughs> wow. And that situation on, on Mount Sinai, as scary as it was, it didn't change those people. Moses is up there. He's getting the law. He's getting the, the construction orders for the temple. He's getting all of the different commands, all of the different garments, all of the different food, thing, all of this stuff. And while he's up there, the people start to act silly. And the Bible says that while Moses is up on the mountain, they start to build a golden calf. They construct an idol. They, they had just been to that mountain where God scared the living bad place out of them. And a few moments later, here they are worshiping a false god. It's as if the Bible is telling you fear never is a good motivation to do what is right. You can, you can have an experience with God that makes you pee in your pants and you still won't live right. So it didn't change them. He's saying, he's saying the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, Sinai won't change you but Zion will Amen. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 11 says it says oh Lord let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name think about that it's my delight to fear his name Isaiah 11 2 through 3 says the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. It's talking about Jesus. 
It says the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. The difference between the fear of the old covenant and the fear of the new covenant is that Jesus enjoyed fearing God. And a lot of times when we talk about, we need a good old dose of the fear of God. What we're talking about is we want people to be so scared of God that they stop doing bad stuff. That's what we're saying. We're, we're, not, we're, not, we don't want, we're not asking them to enjoy God. We're telling them to run from God. You should be scared of God if he catches you. He's got, a, he's got a good list. He's got a, he's got a naughty list. He's got this good list. And if you're on the naughty list, you better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. Right? That's, 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 that's what we want. We want people to be so afraid of God that they stop doing bad stuff. But that's not the God of the new covenant. It's a fear that delights in the Lord. I love to fear God. It's a joy to my life. It brings hope to my life. It brings security to my life. I put my hope and trust, confidence in the name of Jesus, the name that's above all names. I fear God enough to come to God on his terms, not on mine. So Zion is different, he says. Zion is different. How is Zion different? I, I love it. We're going to spend the rest of our time talking about the difference of Zion. He says, he says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festival gathering. That means there's so many angels, it's hard to even count them. And they're having a party. This is what you have come to. They're, they're having a festival. They're... They're eating and they're drinking and they're enjoying fellowship and they're enjoying God. They're enjoying his presence. And you've come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Look, look at this. What Zion is telling you is you are not alone. You are you are right now in this room. I, I know that many of you, and if you're watching me online, maybe you're sitting in your house today, you feel very alone. But I want to tell you, you are not alone. Even if you are not in this room surrounded by us, it doesn't matter. You are surrounded by a host of angels so large right now that you couldn't even count them if you tried to. You're surrounded by those people who have gone, your mama, your grandma, your grandpa, those people who have gone before you that are in heaven right now with God. You are surrounded. You are surrounded by Jesus. You are surrounded by God, the judge of all. You are not alone. My goodness. So don't ever think for a moment that when a Christian man or a Christian woman dies, that he or she, this verse should prove to you that they don't fall into some sort of soul sleep or perpetual unconsciousness. No, Hebrews 12 clearly reminds us that when they die, they enter into a state of conscious joy and happiness and celebration of Jesus. Your friends and your family members who knew Jesus, they might have died physically, but they are alive spiritually. They are thinking and they are feeling and they are shouting and they are dancing and they are celebrating right now in the presence of God. And when we sing and we shout and we dance, we are joining together 
with, with what our grandmas and our, the angels and Jesus. And we, are to get, we are not alone. We are not alone. Zion tells me I'm not alone, man. And Zion, Zion is, is, yes, Zion is like Sinai in the sense that Zion is about sacrifice. When David put the Ark of the Covenant in the city of God, and he didn't return it to the temple. The Bible says that David offered sacrifices one time at the initiation of his tent. But then after that, they kept offering sacrifices, but it was no longer animal sacrifices. They were still sacrificing animals at Gibeah, but not at David's temple. They were offering sacrifices, but it wasn't animals. It was praise. Sacrifice on Zion, in Zion, sacrifice still matters, but it's not animals, it's praise. Hebrews 13 and 5 says, therefore, by him, by Jesus, through Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. What is it? That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Can I tell you something? Praise has a sound. Praise has a sound. It's the fruit of your lips. It's not praise until you open up your mouth. It's not praise until you're not, you're not praising the Lord because you're listening to praise music. It doesn't become praise until you open up your mouth. You're not praising God because you come to church and we play some songs for you. You're praising God when you open up your mouth and you join and you sing and you, you start to with the fruit of your lips. I can't praise God for you. Your mama can't praise God for you. Those angels can't praise God for you. If you want to join him, you got to open up your mouth and begin to praise God with the fruit of your lips. Praise has a sound. Now watch this. On Sinai, despite all of that noise, there was no praise. Think about that for a second. You've got, you've got thunder, you've got lightning, you've got the voice of God, and you've even got a trumpet, but you don't have praise. Because the instruments were not designed to praise God. They were designed to carry our praise. These drums and these pianos and the, the guitars and... They were not designed to praise God. They were designed to carry our praise. So it's not praise just because there's some noise in the room. It doesn't become praise until the body of Christ, come on, opens up her mouth. And begins to tell God all that he is and tell him about all that he's done and tell him how worthy he is and how magnificent he is and how glorious he is and how awesome he is. Some of you, you've come in week after week after week after week and you've been in a praise service, but you haven't opened up your mouth and you haven't given God praise. I'd like to take about 10 seconds right now to give you an opportunity to, to start your week off right by maybe standing on your feet, opening up your mouth and telling God just how awesome he is. Come on, can somebody in the room give God a praise from the fruit of your lips? I don't need a trumpet. I don't need a piano. Hallelujah. We offer you praise. We exalt your holy name. We lift up the name of Jesus. There's no one like 
See, see, I want to tell you something while you're standing, because I don't want you to sit yet. I want to tell you something. There are a lot of things that will make a difference. There are a lot of things that will make a difference. And, and we've, we've talked about over this season, over this season of an election and everything that's happening in our country. Yes, yes, should you vote? Absolutely. Should you care? Absolutely. Should, should you do all? Absolutely. Should you get involved? Absolutely. But more than that, the thing that's gonna make a difference more than any of that is when you, when you open up your mouth and you praise God in the middle of your circumstance. Praise works in India. Praise works in Africa. Praise works in Japan. Praise works when you're free. Praise works when you're in bondage. Come on, somebody. Praise works when it's going your way, when it isn't going your way. When you open up your mouth, things begin to change in the atmosphere. And God begins to, to do something. The Bible even teaches us that he literally sits on the praises of his people. We carry him with our praises. We, we, we walk him through the streets of our city with our praises. We don't just praise him in the building. We praise him outside of the building. We praise him in our car. We praise him on our job. We praise him in our school. We praise him in the, in the shopping market. We praise him in the mall. We praise him when we go for a walk. We praise him when we're sitting in our house. Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. Don't stop praising. You may be seated. The Bible says that David, when he established praise and worship there, he hired over 9,000 people so that there would be 24-hour continual praise and worship around the temple there in Zion. Whew. My goodness. We cannot be too extravagant with our praise. We cannot go too overboard with our praise. David pleaded. He said, God, I want to build you a house so that people can come and worship you there. David wasn't allowed to build it, but his son Solomon built it, and he built it to such a degree. He built it to such a place that people from all over the world came to look and to see what they had built for their God. Does the world turn to look when we build something for God? Or, do, or where is the church still full of people who are like, how much did they spend on that? How much did they pay for that? How much did they do with that? Because when, you're, when, you're cons, when your concern is people's extravagance with their praise, with their devotion, with their worship, how much they're spending, how much they're, they're pouring out on Jesus, you're a Judas. You got the same spirit that Judas had when the woman busted open that box of perfume and poured it out. And they thought, man, you could have gave that money to a poor. No, you serve a God who's big enough. This isn't the God of Sinai. You serve a God who's big enough to both be praised extravagantly and help the poor. Zion is about sacrifice. See, see, praise doesn't just have a sound. Praise has a smell. In the book of Leviticus, the Bible says that the priest, they would pour perfume on hot coals of the altar of incense, and that scent would go up to heaven. And the Bible says that God received the incense offering as a sweet-smelling savor of praise. 2 Corinthians 2 and 15 says, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Your life <laughs> gives off a smell. And that smell either makes people want to run and hide like Sinai, or that smell 
attracts people to God through Zion. Wow. See, that's, that's even why I'm going to jump into this. And this is a bonus because this isn't even really anything I wanted to talk about today. But when, when, you, when, you talk about, when you talk about sacrifice in the church, some people get sacrifice and legalism confused. They start, they, they start, to, they start to think that, oh, you're, you're telling me I need to give this up. To, you know, I need to walk away from this. No, these Romans teaches offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You should be just thankful that God doesn't require your death. God doesn't want you to die for him. He wants you to live for him. Come on, somebody. You don't serve a God who wants you to die for him. That's the other gods of the earth. You serve a God who died for you so that you could live abundantly for him. That's, that's the God you serve. So sacrifice in the kingdom is, is, really, is really nothing. It really is nothing. I, I love this story in the Bible. The, 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 disciples, <laughs> the disciples are talking to Jesus, and they, they start to say, Jesus, we left everything for you. We sacrificed everything to come and follow you. We walked away from this, and we walked away from that. And Jesus said, hold up. You have to understand something. No one who in this life has left a mom, a dad, family, houses, land. He says, will I not repay a hundred times over in this life and in the life to come? You have become a part of a kingdom and, and it is to your benefit to sacrifice for the king because the king does not like to be outdone. I remember when I was growing up that we used to sing a song. He said, you can't outgive the Lord no matter what you do. You'll find out in the end that God's outgiving you. See, here's the thing. When, and, and okay, with, with Solomon. So Solomon builds this great temple. And the Bible says the queen of Sheba, she comes to see what Solomon has built. And when she came, she brought him an incredible gift. She brought him so much stuff. But the Bible says that as she was leaving, that Solomon gave her more than what she came with. And then on top of that, he gave her whatever her heart desired. Why is that? Because kings don't like to be outdone. I, I want to tell you, it's to your benefit to give to God because the king does not. You are a part of a kingdom and the king, the king will not be embarrassed by what you bring to him. He will embarrass you by what he gives to you. Listen to me. This, this is just how a kingdom works. When, when you're not a part of a kingdom, you get mad because people talk about God wants to bless you and God wants to take care of you. God wants to provide for you and God wants to give you good things and God wants to give you a better things. And people can't stand that because they don't understand the kingdom. But when you understand the kingdom, you serve a king who wants his. See, it's, it's to the glory of the king that his people are blessed. It's to the, when, when she heard, the Bible says Sheba came in and she saw how even the servants were eating and she thought this man is beyond anything I heard because not only are the, are the, are roy, is royalty eating well, but the servants are eating well in the kingdom of Solomon. How much more should it be in the kingdom of God than even his servants? People look at his servants and say, how, why, Whoa, that's incredible. See, a lot of, a lot of, oh, I don't like that. Well, you need to repent. 
I don't like that God wants to bless you stuff. That's prosperity gospel. Get over it. <laughs> New Testament, he said, I desire that you would prosper and be in health. I want you to do well. Jesus said that I came to give them life and life more abundantly. That doesn't always mean a new car and a new house. It doesn't always mean stuff. It just means that God will take care of you. God will provide for you. And if you have anything nice, is there anybody in the room who wants to go ahead and give God glory and say, I didn't make this for my, I didn't build this for myself. I didn't do this for myself. God must love me. God must care about me. God must want me to be blessed because God did this for me. I don't like that. You need to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you don't like that, you don't like the kingdom. Zion, Zion is about access. Zion means you are not alone. Zion means that praise is the sacrifice you offer. Zion means that you have access. Jesus is access to the Father. He's trying to convince these Hebrews. He says, Jesus is better. But we want to go back, Jesus is better. But I liked it. No, Jesus is better. Jesus said in John 14 and 6, he said, I'm the way, truth, and the life. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 9, he said, I am the door. <laughs> I am the door. When Jesus said, Peter, no man in this life who walks away from anything for me am I gonna owe a thing to. In other words, Jesus was saying, Peter, you didn't leave everything. Peter, you gained access to everything. You didn't leave anything to follow me. You actually gained access to everything when you followed me. Ooh, oh, man. Wow, you need to see that. I didn't lose anything following Jesus. I actually gained access to everything when I decided to follow Jesus. Wow. Zion is about proximity to heavenly things, nearness to God. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us draw near to the throne of grace. Hebrews 10, 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, Sinai, the, the ark, the presence of God was never this close to the people. It was never this accessible to the world. At David's temple, people from all over different nations gathered and worshiped God. Not just the Jewish people. People from all over were welcome. The presence of God had never been this close to people before. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. This isn't Sinai. Where even though you've got all that noise, God is still distant. This is Zion. Where God is near. God has come near. And this is so important because the same struggle they had in the, in the new is the same struggle we have in the new. In the book of Acts, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, they got together and they convened and they decided that there were some people who weren't following some of the religious law and customs and they, were, they just couldn't believe that they could be saved. They couldn't believe that God was saving these people. 
Gentiles, the people outside of what they thought was God's chosen, God's only. But Jesus said, he said, I've got sheep that you know not of. I've got people that you've never met before. I love this because when he talks about Zion, it says, it says in Zion, God is the judge of all. So if that, if that means God is the judge of all, then that means I'm the judge of nothing. So in other words, the keepers of the tradition were trying to see who they could keep out. The Jewish people were obsessed with who they could keep out. Jesus is obsessed over who he can bring in. Invite in. And to me, one of the biggest issues with the American church over the past 50 years has been our obsession has been more about who we can keep out rather than who we are trying to invite in. So Zion says, God's the judge. So God will save who he wants to save. God will use who he wants to use. He even came to Peter because Peter was struggling with this. He comes to Peter and he, has, he, he meets Peter in a vision. He says, hey, Peter, stop calling unclean what I have called clean. And then he sends him to the house of a man he would have never had a meal with in his life. I wanna ask you this question. What happens when God puts your blessing on the other side of a door you said you would never walk through? <laughs> you gotta remember, this isn't Sinai. This is Zion. Stop ruling people out. Here, here's the thing. You can't, here, practically, you cannot lock people out of a place you've never been to. Any of you been to heaven? No. You can't lock people out of a place you've never been to. So you might as well quit. You might as well make your life an adventure of walking through doors that you never thought you would ever walk through, having conversations with people you thought you would never have conversation with, inviting people into your world that you never thought you would invite into your world, this is the journey of the gospel. It's a journey into other people's worlds. It's a constant journey into the world of other people. That's what it is. If you have a faith that walls you off from the rest of the world, you're living on Sinai. You, you have chosen the wrong mountain. I have a feeling I'm a part of a church family that wants to live in Zion, in the city of God, where whosoever would come, let them come. Drink, find rest, find healing, find salvation. You can find it. We stand on your feet with me.
because of Jesus, I haven't really lost anything. I have access to everything. So Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning that we have not come to a mountain that is burning with fire and smoke and we have not come to a place where we thought, God, what you are asking of us is so hard. Stop talking. But we have come to a place where, God, we long and we desire to hear your voice speak to us. We're listening. Open up your heart to us. We're listening. We open up our heart to you. Have your way. Take us to people and to places that we would have never dreamed of. Help us to walk through doors that we would have never walked through. Help us to extend our lives and our resources and our ear to hear and our heart to respond and to those who feel like they are on the outside looking in. God, don't let this be a church that coddles to insiders, but let this be a church that welcomes with open arms the outsiders. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Listen, if there's anybody in the room today, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're in here today and you say, Rob, I need to give my life to Jesus. I feel separated from God. Maybe you're here and you'd say, you're saying that for the first time or for the fifth time, you're just wanting to come back. You've been away and you feel a distance between you and God and you're wanting to, you're wanting to draw near. Here's the thing. God is omnipresent. He never left. <laughs> he never left. You can't hide from him. You can't run from him because wherever you go, there he is. So all you have to do is open up your mouth, open up your heart. Today, if that's you, pray this prayer with me. And I believe that in this moment that God can radically change your life, supernaturally do a work in your life. Forgive you, cleanse you, make you brand new. I believe it. I'm gonna count to three and when I do, would you throw your hand up in the air if that's you? One, two, three, throw your hand up if that's you. Amen, awesome, I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen, let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you gave your life for me. I give you my life. Take it all. Have your way. Use me for your glory. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together and bless the Lord one more time. Awesome. Awesome. Praise God. I'm gonna let you go, but thank you for being here today. If you need prayer, we'd love to meet you and pray with you. Our prayer team will be up front. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday, and we'll see you soon.